in the sweep of Romans, he says, verse 1, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. We're called to submit to government, not just the ones we like, not just when the people we like are in power, we're to submit to government, period. And again, verse 1 is an, is an amazingly clear and yet broad topic statement or theme statement that he unfolds here in these seven verses. This submission is not absolute. Uh, there are times when the scripture says we must obey God rather than men. In fact, all areas of submission that the Bible teaches about, there, uh, there are none absolute except to God. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. And Pastor Scott brings a timely set of messages from Romans chapter 13 titled, The Christian and Government. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Turn to Romans chapter 12, 12th chapter of Romans. God not only saves us by His grace in uh, Romans 11 or 1 through 11, the first 11 chapters of Romans is probably the best explanation in detail and in a systematic way of that in the Bible. But he equips us, he gives us a roadmap for life, and he equips us to live life. And that really could be looked at as 12 through 16, the rest of Romans. And so we're in that part of the book that applies the great truths to our lives. And chapter 12, just by way of review, what it looks like, practical righteousness. We've been declared righteous, but now what does it look like? In relationship to God, the first two verses, we're to be given over to Him, put at His disposal. Then in verses 3 through 16, what it looks like toward one another. And in a nutshell, we're to have genuine love for one another. And all the ramifications of that, which are manifold. And then last week, we looked at 17 through 21, our relationship to unbelievers. And uh, there are many things said there, but basically he says, verse 21, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that means uh, not taking your own vengeance. So, so far as it's possible, as far as it depends on you to be at peace with all men, even those who are persecuting you, even those who've wronged you, and I said, if ever there was a point, you know, in scriptural teaching where you say, I can't do this on my own, it's right there. Uh, this isn't something we can crank out in the flesh. And in fact, this will be a point where our flesh will be exposed when we feel wronged or hurt. And even in, even in God's family, and even in your own family, even right down in your own marriage, when we get wrong, that's usually when our flesh wells up. But, uh, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, Paul wrote, and he's the one who wrote this. And it really is the fruit of the Spirit that God wants manifest, and hence the key at the beginning of the chapter to put ourselves at his disposal. And then he actually, through his Holy Spirit, gives us power and ability to live Christian lives. Uh, and so you see these different relationships. You get to chapter 13, and he says the Christian and government, basically. What's our relationship to the government? And I want to just read uh, these verses in just a minute. But let me just say government plays a huge role in our lives. Too huge, in my humble opinion. 
<laughs> I mean, what do they say? We're working till May, you know, January, February, March, April, May, till you can get to your own paycheck, if you think of it percentage-wise. But uh, we may think that way, and that might be where we kind of live as far as, uh, it, because we have been blessed with good government in the scope of world history. We've been so blessed as a nation that we can get uh, a little bit uh, used to it, I suppose. But government plays a huge role, and really, uh, it is part of God's plan, human government. It's part of His blessing, even. And civilization, which is a huge blessing, and civil government or human government are entwined. And uh, even as Christians, we want to remember, and I'll remind you today, our citizenship is in heaven. I mean, this world really isn't our home. We're just passing through, the old spiritual said, you know. And our citizenship, the Bible says, is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await a Savior, Philippians 3.20. And I'm eager for the Lord to get back, and I hope you are too. But just the same... Uh, even though Peter tells us that we're aliens and strangers down here in a sense. I mean, we just kind of live here. Yet we're given a task to do, and our life live for His glory, uh, just about every aspect of it, from freedom or lack thereof to finances or lack thereof, uh, is impacted in a huge way by government, from gospel proclamation to visas and permission to even get into a country. I mean, you name it, there's an awful lot of issues, all the church-state issues and on and on. So I want to read this, and we want to listen to this with real care because our relationship to the government is a fairly big part of our life. So let's listen to the first seven verses. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes." For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves, themselves to this very thing. Render all, to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now, it's a big subject, and uh, I think that it is probably well for us to kind of look at the big sweep first and look at the principles that are laid out here in a broad sweep so that we kind of keep them all in, in perspective and get God's perspective on this and then come back and look at them in detail. So we won't say everything that needs to be said today, but I want to give uh, 
seven principles that I see here in these seven verses. Uh, and the first one, government is established by God. Not just certain forms of government. Verse 1, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. There is no authority except from God. So it isn't just certain kinds of uh, government that are established by God. He says, those which exist. And you look around the world today. Those which exist, he says, are established by God. So... Uh, that's something that needs to color everything we say. That's the first principle. Secondly, it's actually, government is actually a servant, a minister of God. Verse 4, it is a minister of God for you, for good. It can also be a minister of God, notice later in the verse, for vengeance. And we'll see the implications of that in a minute too. And then look uh, at verse 6. Uh, for the, because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. That could be a new slogan for the IRS. <laughs> devoting themselves to collecting this stuff. In fact, it could be a slogan for some political parties. And devoting themselves. To but he said, listen, it's a minister of God, amazingly. So that's strong language. Thirdly, the God-given function of government. Or I could say perhaps the limited role of government. When God speaks of what the government's to do, what are rulers and authorities to do? It's amazingly consistent throughout the scripture. And uh, simply put, it is to punish evildoers and to praise those who do good. To protect its subjects by punishing the evil and praising the good. And you see it right there in verse 3 and 4. Uh, it's a cause of fear for those who do evil because it bears the sword, and it's a cause of praise for those who do good and abide in goodness. So protection of its citizens and protection uh, in the realms of justice, that sort of thing, we'll see as we look at that in more detail. And then fourthly, we are to submit to government. In one sense, that's what Paul is saying here. Uh, when In the sweep of Romans, when he says, now what's our relationship to the government? He says, verse 1, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. We're called to submit to government. Not just the ones we like. Not just when the people we like are in power. We're to submit to government, period. And again, verse 1 is an, is an amazingly clear and yet broad topic statement or theme statement that he unfolds here in these seven verses were to submit to government. Fifth, fifth, this submission is not absolute. Uh, there are times when the scripture says we must obey God rather than men. In fact, all areas of submission that the Bible teaches about there, uh, there are none absolute except to God. So uh, submission to government, though it's enjoined on us, is not absolute. There are times when the government will command something that God forbids. And there are times 
when the government will forbid something that God commands. And in both cases, we must obey God rather than men. So there are times when uh, we sense and see the very clear limits of this submission. But I'll tell you, these limits are, and these times aren't as often as we think. Uh, I'm confident of that. But it is not uh, an absolute submission. And then sixthly, this submission is not merely pragmatic. In other words, we don't do this just to get along in life or just to see things go our way or just to, no, he says very clearly, it's the right thing to do. And we'll talk about that. And, and by the way, let me just say parenthetically again, the lessons we learn regarding government are so applicable in other areas of life. Submission, human submission to human authority, whether it be your parents or your husband or the boss down at work or uh, the government, submission is ultimately enjoined on us because it is right. It is what God wants. And that will change your perspective. If you merely look at it as a pragmatic thing, as a way to make your marriage work, or as a way to kind of keep the folks off your neck at home or whatever, it will be, you'll think you're thinking far too horizontally. No, it, it's the right thing. It's the right thing. We know, as I said, God has given us a roadmap for life. We know that there's a right and a wrong. And uh, submission is not merely pragmatic. And then seventhly, we are called, and it's really not in the text, but uh, it's not in this text, but it's in the Bible. And uh, I'll look at verse 7 with you. He says, render to all what is due them. And the seventh point that I would make, and it's a very important one, we are called to pray for the authorities over us. First Timothy 2. Render to all what is due them. Pray, not to governmental leaders. There have been times when that's what they want. In fact, quite often in history, that's what they want. But uh, no, you don't pray to them, you pray for them. Okay, big difference, obviously. But uh, now those are the seven principles that I think will give us a fairly good context to look in more detail at this. And you've got to keep them in mind because we can't cover them all today. But it's good to kind of keep the whole picture in mind. Now let's look at the first one, verse 1. Government is established by God. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Paul states his main point that we are to submit to the government, and then he gives the main reason. <laughs> Because government is established by God. He ordained it. He established it. And it's instructive to think of the different institutions that God has given us. The family, marriage. Nations. Paul stood up at Athens and said, God is the one who from one created all these nations and their boundaries and their habitations. The nation, Israel. Uh, the church, God ordained these institutions and uh, civil government, human government. And it's real instructive to take a look at these different uh, institutions of God, remembering that he is the one that established these things, not man, really, and to look at the chronological order in which he did it. First and foremost, before even sin entered the picture, he established marriage and the family unit. Uh, Genesis 
one and two. And then, uh, when did the church come along? Well, the church was still future when Jesus said to Peter after he confessed him as Christ, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church. And he said, you guys wait here in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, way down the line in history, God birthed the church. And the church is, of course, uh, what God is doing today. But think of the chronology of it. Uh, Israel, when did Israel? Well, not till all the way through the book of Genesis. Israel as a nation is still, I'm going to make you a great nation, Abraham. And even when Jacob is blessing his sons, the tribes of Israel, in Genesis, why it's still yet future, I'm going to make this nation. And then he did, down in Egypt. He said, I'll make it down in Egypt. And he did, down there in slavery for 400 years. And in Egypt and in the wilderness is when God formed that family into a nation. So all the, and even the nations as such didn't really occur right away. But uh, what did get established? Genesis 9, way back, when God started over with Noah, he established, after Noah got off the boat with his family, he established human government. And he said very clearly, he said, now I've given you dominion over the animals just like I did the plants of the earth. And every living thing that moves is for your food, he said. And he's never revoked that. He's speaking to the whole race. I mean, there were only eight of them at the time. He could easily speak to the whole race in that sense. And then he said this, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. Notice, as he establishes the right and the responsibility of man to govern himself and to have a governmental, uh, what would I say, uh, response to individual man's activities, what was the reason for establishing this? He said, listen, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. I want you to deal with it. And what was the reason? For in the image of God, he made man. In a sinful, fallen world, the very dignity of man created in the image of God demands that there be human government. Oh, we need to remember this. The fact that he established government is because we're created in the image of God. And civilization itself depends on, you know, without government... We quickly go to anarchy and tribalism and gangsterism, and you can see it in our own country as we've thrown away parameters and boundaries. What happens to man? And uh, history tells you this in a very powerful way. But the Bible consistently teaches this. Governmental authority is from God. I think of the book of Daniel. In fact, you might want to glance back there. Turn to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. And uh, you remember uh, Israel had been taken captive by Babylon. God was punishing his nation, Israel, with another nation, Babylon. And they were to have 70 years in captivity. And Daniel, a young Hebrew boy or man, young man really we'd say, but young guy, 
was uh, living for God in the midst of that kind of a situation. And he had already made a name for himself in that he was considered one of the wise men, one of the, of course, the way the Babylonians thought of it, one of the conjurers, one of the magicians, and the Chaldeans, they had various names for these guys that could pull powers of, of the gods in and that sort of thing. Well, Daniel, who was known as a Hebrew who followed and worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the world, of course, just thought, well, that's their religion. That's good. We'll add that to our... And so he had him almost in his, in his uh, you know, the king Nebuchadnezzar had him in his advisory council, just like this world today thinks of Christianity as one of many. We know there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. We know, I hope you know, that there's not a bunch of religions that lead to God. There is one revelation of God, Jesus Christ. And you must come to him. Jesus said, there is no other way to the Father but through me. I am the way. We know that, but the world doesn't. The world has always thought of us just like Nebuchadnezzar did. Well, he's a good guy. I'll put him in my team. And you remember he had a dream, and he had this dream that really troubled him, and he said, I'd like, uh, I'd like, you to tell me what the dream is. So he called in the usual troops, you know, the guys that would interpret his dreams for him. And he said, uh, I had a dream and I'd like you to tell me the dream and its interpretation. They said, okay, well, tell us the dream and we'll give you the interpretation. He said, you're stalling for time. He said, I asked you to tell me the dream and its interpretation. And they said, well, <clears throat> could, could, could you tell us the dream? And I think he realized that these guys could just spin yarns on him. He'd tell them a dream, and they'd say, well, I'll tell you what that represents. And just like people interpret music and art, they can make it say anything they want sometimes. You tell them the dream, and then they'll give you the interpretation. And he said, no, you tell me the dream and the interpretation. He raised the stakes, and they were completely unable. By the way, the forces of evil can do a lot of things, but they hit their limits. You never hit the limit of God's power. But you do hit the limit of the masquerader's power. Satan is very limited in comparison to the unlimited one. Now, he's a mighty foe. Don't you mess with him. Let God handle him. But he has handled. Praise God. We serve the God of gods, the king of kings. We don't have to worry. But anyway, these guys that really didn't do much but just make stories up, they couldn't tell him his dream and his interpretation. They said, you, nobody's ever asked us to do that, king. He said, listen... If somebody doesn't do it, I'm going to kill all of you. I'm going to tear you limb from limb. Great government to have, wouldn't it be? I'm going to make your houses a rubbish heap, and under Article 713, I'm going to tear you limb from limb or something. You know, it, there were no articles, let me tell you. He just said that's what will happen. And, of course, the order went out fearfully, and they said, get Daniel. They thought, oh, yeah, Daniel, the Hebrew guy. They just put him off to the side, and they got Daniel. And Daniel said, give me time. Give me a little bit of time. And he went to prayer. And he and his three friends, you remember, they prayed to God and said, Oh, Lord, give us this. And God did. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Christian and Government a message from our series in the book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to abideintheword.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. 
We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. We're thankful that you've chosen to listen to us on this station, and we invite you to abideintheword.us to download or listen to any past program or to subscribe to our daily podcast. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Sometimes God does put humble men in leadership, the lowliest of men, but sometimes he puts the basest of men, huh? And there have been scoundrels all through history who pardon their cronies and break laws and are immoral and dishonest and do evil, evil, evil and get away with it. That's been the course of history. God is in charge. I mean, as history has gone on, has it gotten better? No. In the 20th century, and who knows what the 21st holds? No, it's not getting better. Jesus said, by the way, history isn't going to get better and better. It's going to get worse and worse. If I don't come back, it would end in total destruction, but I'm coming back. So God's in charge. Don't ever forget that. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, The Christian and Government. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.